Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, my name is Gary Mansfield, and this is the Ministry of Arts podcast, where each week I'll be speaking to a different artist. Now let's begin by bagging these bongos. Hello and welcome to episode 146 of the Ministry of Arts podcast. Today I'm taking you to meet Mark Beatty. But before I do, a big thank you to our Patreon supporters, without whom we would not be able to make this podcast. Since day one, this podcast has been self-funded, so we didn't have to bow to the advertisers. But in order for us to keep going and to grow, we started a Patreon page where you can donate from as little as £3 a month, which is about the same price as a cup of coffee. So if you like what you hear and you'd like to support us, just go over to the Ministry of Arts Instagram profile page and you'll see a Linktree drop-down box. And then just follow the link. It'll only take a few moments. But if you're not able to do that, that's just fine. This content is free for everyone. And speaking of podcasts... This week I featured on an art podcast that's based in Australia called Art Wank. Yep, Art Wank. It's run by two British artists who moved over to Australia a couple of decades ago. And that is Fiona Verity and Julia Nicholson. We did record it some, we did record it some time ago with the intention of both talking about each other's podcasts and putting them out at the same time. Well, I'm quite well known for wanting to rabbit on, as you'll be well aware, but my God, did I meet my match with these two ladies. And I was getting it in stereo. I couldn't ask a question for the life of me. So it pretty much ended with them interviewing me. I'm going to be chatting with them again. And this week, I'm going to be asking the questions. So go over to the socials, give them a follow. And wherever you listen to your podcast, go and subscribe. They speak to artists all across Australia and a few elsewhere. Last weekend saw the opening of Fort Stavry's The Factory Project over in Silvertown, E16. And my God, what a show it's turned out to be. I showed with the Skip Gallery and the Ministry of Arts are showing with Gallery Number 32. Both artworks went down amazingly well. I spoke about the artwork made with the Skip Gallery, Domestic Waste, on the last Thought Stavry episode. And I'll be speaking about the artwork made with Gallery Number 32, which was called Lost Connections on the next Thorpe Stavery episode, which will be coming out in a few days. As well as the artwork on display, the factory projects have got several performances, workshops and talks, a list of which can be found over on Thorpe Stavery's website, one of which is called The Lives of Others with Rosalind Davis and myself, Gary Mansfield. It's on Thursday the 21st of October between 1500 and 1630, three o'clock and half four to me and you. And what you can expect is a South London girl and an East London boy talk about how they ended up being artists 
and their art career journey so far, including joys, inspirations, life-changing moments, relationships, and a few challenges along the way. For these free tickets, go over to the Instagram profile page of Rosalind Davis, and you'll find them there on a Linktree drop-down box. Likewise, they will also appear on mine very shortly, but you can also follow the link in the show notes of this podcast. That's The Lives of Others with Rosalind Davis and myself, Gary Mansfield, a talk happening at the Factory Project, London E16. But finally, to today's guest, after that super long introduction, it's Mr. Mark Beatty. I first had the pleasure of meeting Mark, albeit virtually, about 18 months ago, when we was both taking part in the V Art Show, which was the first virtual art fair. Now they're all doing it, right? Mark's a commercial sculptor that shows at mainly art fairs, and a lot of the time alongside his mum. How cool is that? And even as this podcast is released, Mark will be showing at the Star Art Fair, which is at the Saatchi Gallery in London, between the 13th and 17th of October. So if you're in London, it's an absolute must. Well, I'm not going to hold you up any longer, so please, come with me over on Zoom to meet Mark Beatty. Let's have, a, let's have a little chat about you. Yeah, nice one. Right, Mark, as you're aware, I've got seven questions I ask each artist. Yeah. The first being, how would you explain what you do to someone that doesn't know your work? So I create abstract sculptures, uh, metal, out of metal abstract sculptures. So I use a range of materials, copper, aluminium, steel, it really depends on the scale that I'm working at. So I'll, I'll make abstract sculptures that are 10 centimetres right up to three and a half metres. Um, and I kind of use the metal that lends itself to that scale. So if you're making a three and a half metre sculpture, you can't make it out of copper because you wouldn't be able to move it anymore. Anyway. No, no. So that way, you know, if I'm making something for the garden, it would be made out of, um, out of aluminium. Um, whereas... The, the work that I make in the studio here, because it's much smaller, are kind of more interior works and they're made out of copper. It's just such an easy material to manipulate by hand um, and you can heat it up and get really tight curls and yeah. add movement to the metal, which is something that I'm really interested in as well. And I guess recently, well, not so recently, but the last five years I added neon to the work. They're pretty um, cool, and that was they? kind of, yeah, it, it was a big change for me um, and it was something that I was quite nervous about doing. It took kind of 18 months to experiment and, and get it right. Um, I didn't want people to think, you know, you're just adding neon in there because Tracy Evans using neon. You can, yeah. 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 Um, so I really wanted it to complement the work and add to the movement and the energy of, of, of the pieces. Um, and really, for me, since adding the neon, it kind of took me to an, another level. It, you know, it kind of suddenly people that that weren't necessarily interested were interested and architects and interior designers started um, commissioning pieces which um, was really exciting. Um, the neon is generally in amongst the tubular metalwork isn't it? Yeah. And when when the neon is off um, it does look like part of the the metalwork you've got there. And yeah then... and I have people coming up to the work that hasn't got any neon at an art fair and they'll start kind of tapping it going switch on and you go no that's you know that's a standard sculpture yeah. it's kind of just for your garden it's but um yeah and that's what I really wanted to do with the neon I wanted to kind of hide all of the wires hide all of the transformers and and the ugly parts that you yeah. know when you see neon on the wall and there's wires going down I wanted to hide all of the that illusion doesn't it in the tube yeah and to have you know neon in 3D in the round, obviously I'm a sculptor, so I work in the round anyway. So to allow the, the viewer to walk round the piece and not see any wires that it's just suspended in, in the space, um, adds something quite magical, I think. Um, yeah, and I think, you know, to, to reinforce it, when, when the neon's off, it, it's still an aesthetic sculpture it just it becomes a kind of statement piece or mood lighting for someone's um someone's house once the neon's on and you can kind of dim it as well when was your first interest in art did you always have it in and around the home yeah always so my my mum is an artist um and she 
um, was an art teacher for 40 years. So she taught at a secondary school. So I was really lucky, you know, growing up, we would do art on Friday. So Friday evenings, my dad would take my brother out to karate and me and mum would stay in and I was a bit younger. And yeah, it was just so special to kind of sit there. That was, you know, the only time we'd really argue because I was such a perfectionist. I'd be drawing something (laughs) and my mum would go, could I just make a suggestion? And then that would be it. You know, all my pencils would go up in the air and... um, yeah it, so it's always been in the house and it's been you know quite it's great now because I'm exhibiting with my mum as well when oh, nice. we do the other art fair we kind of take stands next to each other so that's that's really good but I've always been encouraged you know um, and to have creativity in the house um, and you know now my brother's got got a, a daughter so I've got a five-year-old niece and it's kind of passing on that creativity nice. to to the next generation which is really yeah really cool so at what point did you realize that you wanted to be an artist it's the funny one I think I um I obviously studied art at GCSE and then you kind of roll on and you know you realize you enjoy it and you study at a level um and then it was kind of you know I was encouraged at home to continue and went on to study at Leeds Uni um but really it was in the second year of Leeds Uni they offered, um, it was an Erasmus uh, where you could go and study abroad for a year. So I decided to go and study in Australia. So I spent a year in Australia um, and managed to blag my way into the sculpture school in Canberra. It's uh, Australian National Uni. And I had no, you know, no experience really making sculptures. The the facilities in Leeds were kind of, oh, you can do a bit of clay here. You can do this, but no welding or anything like that. Um, and then I managed to get into the, the sculpture school um, and convinced Wendy, her name was the lecturer. Um, and that was that really changed a lot for me because you would be working alongside Australian artists that were selling their work for a living. You know, these lecturers were at the top of the game in Australia and you'd, you'd be you know, learning how to do some welding and they'd just come over and go, no, don't do that. Like do it like this yeah. and then you look over there and they're making these monumental <laughs> like you know why do I even bother um, yeah, you're, you're tapping away with a little bit of solder yeah yeah exactly and you're looking up at this three meter piece and you think wow like what yeah what what a legend so yeah for me and because I couldn't take anything home you know I was on the other side of the world so they just kept encouraging me to be ambitious and make large they've got so much space over there make large sculpture don't worry about it you can't take it home with you so yeah metalwork and bronze casting and things like that I just had a great year of Brilliant. playing with different materials and teaching myself um, different skills uh, and just having fun really um, and when yeah. did I mean the, the work you do now um, when did this style if you like come about so actually, it developed in Australia. Uh, Wendy, uh, the lecturer, actually said to me, um, you know, why are you making sculpture? Uh, what is the story behind your work? Um, and obviously, at that point, I was on the other side of the world. So it made sense to start making globes. Um, since then, it's, it's kind of moved on to adding energy into the metal, manipulating the material. So it doesn't look like metal. It looks, you know, people come up to it and think it's rubber or... Yeah, um, definitely. It's got, a, it's got a sort of fluidity to it, hasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. And, and to take an industrial material like steel or like copper um, and add movement into it, that's kind of the beauty of it, really. And that's the challenge. And using neon as an addition to that as well it was really great to kind of bring glass and metal together which really shouldn't mix yeah yeah, having that fragile material contrasting against the the metal and the industrial material bringing them together yes occasionally it goes wrong when i'm putting it together but (laughs) you learn from that and you kind of make sure that the copper tubes are lined up the right way so they accept the the neon Um, yeah it it's it's great and you know incredibly lucky that 10 years after uni I'm still making and still still exhibiting nice well because of the abstract shape of your work when the viewer moves around it it sort of moves and dances on its own doesn't it you know yeah a lot of people kind of see dancers in there you know when you see you you were taught how to draw and you'd be drawing or life drawing and you'd have that movement of an arm um, and you draw with a line for me I think you know 
the maquettes that I make are, are my drawings, you know, the small pieces, um, the miniatures that I make are kind of me, but th drawing in 3D. And then I would look at that and go, okay, and view that from all different angles and go, that form works, start to make a tower and different, different shapes, but still with the same movement. And then you'd go, okay, that's successful. Let's try and scale that up to a meter or two meters. Which piece that you've created has got the strongest emotional connection, do you reckon? It's a difficult one. I, I mean, all of them, it's a funny one that, you know, once you, and you would know when you make something, you have such an emotional connection to it anyway. Um, but I am a commercial artist and I, I do, you know, try and sell work. Um, but every time one leaves the studio, you know, it is a piece of you that is leaving. And it's great to see images come back in from clients and see them in situ in someone's home. But I guess um, the two that really jump out, uh, Global Odyssey was the largest sculpture that um, I made and I made that back in 2012 just after my MA oh, nice. that was two and a half meters and just the scale of that um, you know to to show that I could do that and add that kind of scale to my portfolio um, that was you know that was incredibly special the moment that that sold um, you know you think wow I'm not going to see see that again but I'd kind of taken it on tour around the UK so it was a very big sculpture to put on the back of a, a van and and ship around in the early days of you know having you know you say yes to everything don't you and well, I was um, just about to ask funny enough if it was a touring piece or one that went in situ in a in a garden or an outside space so I was when I was studying at Kingston, I was doing my MA um, and the lecturers there were trying to, you know, push me in a certain uh, direction to explore, explore work. And I kind of, uh, you know, hit a wall with that. And I just wanted to make sculpture. I knew I wanted to make sculpture. So I went off and did my own thing. And um, I just thought, OK, as a sculptor, you come up with the ideas, but, you know, you want to go big you know yeah, you want yeah. to do the angel of the north basically so I went off and made this global odyssey off you know my own back um which was a risk because obviously it's expensive um and then for the next three years suddenly I had this two and a half meter sculpture that you know hadn't sold <laughs> but it suddenly people were emailing me going oh I've, you know we've got a sculpture park we'd really like to show it or there's um an office here that would love to show the sculpture in the atrium for six months and you just, you go out, you put it on the back of a lorry and um, you install it for six weeks or a weekend and, and hope that that exposure uh, leads to something, a new opportunity or, or a sale. And thankfully, you know, the piece sold in the end. Um, but just that journey of that sculpture has led to so many different things. You know, the people that you meet at these exhibitions or um, the art consultants that put it into an atrium. Um, yeah, fantastic experience. So that's the one really that, that that sticks with me, I guess. And did that experience of making larger work and being lumbered with it, if you like, yeah, yeah. Um, did that push you to not go so large? Yeah, you see, yeah, it's so true. Um, and I hadn't really thought about that, but I made that large piece as a student after I'd just moved to London. And then suddenly you've got a two and a half meter sculpture and you look around and go, hang on a minute. Um, you know, I'm living in a, in a one bed flat. <laughs> I haven't got room for something like that. How many other people in London have not got room for yeah. a two and a half meter sculpture? So then I started looking at the miniatures, looking at the wall based pieces and going this, you know, if I, I can't afford a studio now. I've, I've left higher education. What do you do? Suddenly I'm making on a desk in in my flat so you, you you know you start looking at the scale and going right I've got to start bringing all this down and it's called reality isn't it yeah yeah <laughs> yeah and it sucked um but actually you know it all led to, to different things and um by go almost going back to the basics of kind of going okay this is how you would construct a sculpture at this scale um and it it led me to find copper um because you know the large piece was made out of aluminium and you needed a, a fabric or I needed a fabricator to help me construct that because yeah. it was so big but then to go back and go right okay well I'm just in my bedroom here I haven't can't afford a studio what material can I use safely in this in this flat 
and yeah, thankfully found copper and haven't really looked back since. Excellent. It's such a great material to work with. Well, like you say, the larger one, it's worth well worth doing because it's a, a good page in your portfolio, isn't it? Yeah, and ever since then, you know, the garden sculptures really that they're, they're the ones that the garden and the and the light sculptures are the ones that really excite me. You know, when you get a commission through. Um, for a garden piece and you know you get the picture through of the garden you start superimposing the scale of the piece and, and you think well you know this could be a three meter sculpture here nice. um, and that's you know when you're inside the sculpture and it's towering above you um, as a sculptor there's just something that is in your you know it's in your blood and you kind of look and go this is this is huge you know this sculpture will outlive me yeah um, which is yeah it's yeah. almost like being inside a tornado, I would have thought, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I made a, a double helix piece, actually, for a sculpture competition um, a few years ago. And that was two metres, and it had a, a, a light running through the centre. And that was great, you know, to be inside that. You've got all the movement running around you. Um, yeah, it makes it really exciting. Yeah. Because not all of your sculptures are curved and circular, are they? No, so I started to develop, this is in the lockdown actually, um, during the VR show that we did. Um, I was looking at, I was doing a lot more drawing because I was in Nottingham uh, with my parents. So uh, my wife and I left London and, you know, I was away from the studio. So didn't have the materials, didn't have the, the tools. So I started drawing a lot more, um, which was, I guess, cathartic and kind yeah. of a way of, you know, uh, blocking out the news. Um, and the craziness going on in the world but yeah what I noticed was the these drawings were um, they weren't a nice calming um, spiraling curvy works they were kind of more aggressive um, and yeah from that I developed a, a series called the fracture series which is you know very angular um, quite angry really but with the I wanted to keep it kind of light and so I, I powder coated those with a really bright color. So I had a, an orange, a green. Um, yeah, and with a, again, with an LED light going through the center. So I wanted to keep those um, as fun as possible, but kind of channel the, the drawings that, that I did uh, in lockdown. Um, yeah, and since then I've kind of started looking at different things now as well. Whereas I've, you know, I'm the fracture series was great and that was kind of a result of of the covid lockdown but once i realized that the covid lock you know this lockdown's going on for for longer than than we all anticipated um i started to develop a new series where it was about connections um so i did a the love knot collaboration um with a number of artists so uh, you're right yeah ken mcintosh uh, Rod McIntosh, sorry, um, and Ken Nawabu. And um, yeah, I was kind of, and Roy's people who I know, uh, you know, quite well as well. Um, yeah, and we were looking at um, collaborating on pieces and it was about making that connection between a studio in lockdown and a studio in lockdown. Um, and yeah, I think from that, it's led to some, some new pieces that are really exciting. Um, I've started to kind of, take that step back and go, why am I making sculpture? I can make these globes um, with my eyes closed. I can make towers. Yeah. You know, once you've been doing it for 10 years, you kind of go, okay, that's great. That's almost, you know, my signature style. But the lockdown has given me the time to kind of refocus on what, what I am doing and why I'm doing it. And the importance, you know, of why I'm doing it for myself as opposed to why I'm doing it to, to sell work. You know, I, I know sculptures can be aesthetic, but they're also a commitment to yeah. someone's house, someone's garden. So, um, yeah, for me to kind of, after 10 years, have the lockdown, it kind of, it almost came at the perfect time, really, for me to reflect on the last 10 years and go, okay, that was great. Um, where am I going for the next 10 years? Um, and yeah, it is, it's all about developing the, the connections with other artists, so lots of collaborations, hopefully, but also the connections within the metal. So um, if I, I've started producing a, a Love Knot piece for an exhibition next month and showing the interlacing of, of materials yeah. um, 
almost materials hugging one another. Um, and I guess that's because of the connections that we've just not had for whether it's with, you know, friends, family for so long now. Um, it's about developing that more kind of emotional side of things, um, which has made it a lot more exciting for me, I think, because I'm kind of back in and excited to make. Well, when I did see those angular pieces, it did sort of throw me back a little bit. And when I look closer, I could still see your mark within them. Yeah. But, um, and, and, you know, we could, I could see that, that it did have your stamp on it. And now you said that it was made during lockdown. It is almost as if the, the, the works that you make generally are quite relaxed and slow, whereas these other ones are rigid and stood up and paying attention, you know? Yeah. And um, yeah, it's a good reflection that, that they was made during a time when we've yeah. all had to sort of sit up and, and yeah. you know, take what's, notice. What's interesting is since, you know, well, are we out of, yeah, since we've come out of the lockdowns and things have eased a little bit, I haven't gone back to, to making the fracture pieces. I've gone back to making the more relaxed and, and happy, happy works. Um, so, yeah, I think it was maybe just a, a moment where things were so, you know, anxiety on top of each other, uh, uh, everyone, and you kind of, it was a moment in time that just was captured with those sculptures. Um, and, and do now, you think you will go back to it? Potentially, um, potentially, but I think I'm more exploring the idea of, of this love knot. And, you know, I, it's funny, I got, so I got married in February, 2020, and um, it was a month before the lockdown. So you just, you go from that extreme of being in the South of France with all your friends, family and wife, yeah. and you're just surrounded by, by love, you know, and I, it, it, I don't want it to sound cheesy, but you are, you know, it's this special day where yeah. everyone is there for you. And then a month later, all of those connections are just broken and you just kind of go, OK, well, shall we do a pub quiz on Zoom or something? <laughs> and, you know, we were so excited. My wife and I were so excited to travel, you know, and go and see all these people that came out to the south of France for our wedding. And you just weren't allowed. You know, we have people no. from Australia, Bolivia, America, and you kind of go, oh, as you were saying bye to them, you know, oh, we can't wait. We'll come out and visit you as soon as possible. And then, you know, the shutters come down a month later and you just think I've gone from such an extreme to, of, you know, isolation almost. Yeah. So uh, I'm almost kind of reacting to that with these these love knots and the connection pieces. Um, and that's why it was so great to collaborate with with artists in in lockdown, like Rod and, and Roy and, and my mum. And, you know, it was again it was making those conversations striking up um collaborations with with other artists and hopefully that will that will continue but with it even within my own work you know I'm, I'm kind of excited about exploring exploring that that a little bit more and manipulating the material to have a bit more meaning behind it um for me um you know i have people kind of weeping in front of my work nice. and they, they see you know they see things in it that, that I don't see because yeah. I, I try not to kind of put messages onto the work whether it, but people you know will look at the white light and it will have religious connotations and things for them and that that's something that I like you know I like exploring the idea of color theory in you know you put red neon into a sculpture it has a very different meaning yeah. to, someone, to a white light um, and that's that's quite fun to play with, but I don't kind of impose my feelings behind the sculpture onto, you know, like we were saying before about the written text next to a piece of work. Um, I like to kind of step back and, and see what other people see in the pieces. Well, that's the beautiful thing, isn't it? When you finish an artwork and you put it out there, you put all of your meaning into it, but that as soon as you put it out there, then it takes on a life of its own. And that meaning is for other people to make up then, isn't it? Yeah, it's a funny one. I mean, you know, just the, these two women that were crying at the other art fair, I've never had a reaction like that before, but there was something in the work that touched them and that was really special 
for me to see but I didn't you know I'm not going to go over there and go actually this is you know your theory of what's happening what those tears away yeah, woman exactly. you're totally wrong yeah you're wrong this is what this is why I did it be happy um yeah and with the neon pieces so I um there was a I've got a piece in um a digestive clinic on um on Welbeck Street in London and the person that bought that could see you know the intestines and things like that wow. running through the piece. Yeah, and yeah. I just met him and I went, you know, that's fantastic that that's what you see, but it goes from one extreme to the other, isn't it? Yeah. You know, suddenly someone can see, you know, the digestive system in the neon within a piece and it works with reception. <laughs> yeah. it. Um, and that's, but that's the beauty of abstract work, isn't it? Everyone tries to read within the abstract, don't they? To yeah. try and make a face or make a, an image or make something out of a scribble or a, 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 a set of colors yeah like there are you know there was one client um he could see mb in there and was like oh i can see do you sign all of your pieces like this and it was like <laughs> the neon was mb and i'd never noticed that before yeah, until yeah. he kind of sent a picture and like drew over it like oh yeah there it is and i thought wow that's just a complete fluke but um yeah people see different meanings which is which is great it's the back, you know, it's your background that you bring to it. It's your story, you know, your culture, where it is seen. Um, and I think, it, yeah, that's what makes art, the art world so fantastic. You know, some people would walk in and, and see a piece of art and hate it straight away. And other people will walk in and, and it stays with them for the rest of the life. And yeah, it's so powerful, isn't it? That's what we're, we're all about is making visual connections, isn't it? Yeah. What do exactly. you do to relax? holiday um yeah I'd really like to travel and even more so at the moment um yeah the last time I was abroad was for the weddings and that was a long time ago so I, yeah I like to kind of get out of the UK um and kind of go to the south of France just I actually started running in the um the first lockdown as well did uh, couch to 5k so I'm training for a, a half marathon at oh, the moment. Oh, wow. Well done. And that, that's really helped, actually, just um, to get up early and, and go for a run. And so I, I just did 20K this morning, which was the furthest I've ever ran. So I'm absolutely exhausted. I can um, imagine. But yeah, that, it's, it's an odd one. Exercise, you know, I get into the studio when I'm, I'm really, I'm ready to go. So um, it's not so relaxing, but um, yeah, it's definitely helps with kind of mental health um and yeah holiday I guess as well um but you know in the lockdown it was drawing for me um you know you'll know as well that you enter this kind of zone where everything on the outside of your little bubble is is almost blurry yeah, um yeah. and you know the, all the sounds are fuzzed a little bit and it, it becomes like a meditative state where you're just drawing and drawing and you know four or five hours have gone by and you're still drawing that that's incredibly relaxing um and but yeah it's a, it's an odd one isn't it because as artists you know our work we love to do our work um but yeah I guess when you lead up to an art fair or a show it, it's really not not relaxing because you've got the deadlines um so at that point it's time to go it's a it. funny it's funny how it does take on a different shape isn't it in your mind all of a sudden what you like you just said what you did find relaxing exactly the same thing becomes a little bit of pressure doesn't it yeah it, yeah it's when you cross that line from okay I'm I'm making this this is this is fun I'm in the zone um and then suddenly it's okay I've got a month to finish making this <laughs> go into a gallery and start thinking right uh, pressures on yeah this isn't uh, as much fun as it was yeah, last yeah. month <laughs> this is definitely not relaxing anymore um, but yeah I think travel I, you know I really enjoy going to see um, other countries and other cultures and food yeah you mentioned earlier about the work and um, the people you've collaborated with mm. if there was you and five other artists past and present what would your ideal group show be group show uh, past and present yeah uh, I love Conrad Shawcross uh, absolutely love his sculptures um, you know everywhere in London I seem to go there's kind of a Conrad Shawcross sculpture um, and yeah it's so aesthetic the balance the form um, yeah fantastic 
uh, Rod, Rod McIntosh. He's uh, pretty cool, just, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. And he's just such a nice bloke. I feel like our, our career, artist careers have almost followed each other as well. Like if I'm doing the London, you know, if I'm on a stand at the London Art Fair, his work is on the same wall and we just look at each other going, oh, this is amazing. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, with the other art fair, we've become really close friends and, and uh, yeah, our work complements one, an- one another quite well. Um, I'd have to go for my mum as well, Joe Beatty. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, we've kind of always wanted to do kind of a joint exhibition. Um, mum does textiles, like figurative textiles, and she's now working with resin. Um, so, yeah, I feel like the works also complement each other. So, um, yeah, a BT, a BT what show. Would the, I was going to say, what would the title of that exhibition be? Son and daughter, the, <laughs> yeah, the BT show. <laughs> At home with the BTs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then i think you know see big names um at cause uh, uh, some people absolutely hate cause but I, I really like his work and the way he kind of plays with scale yeah. um, from the kind of small toys to the the really large ones that you i've seen in new york hearst and you know your, your classic brit your brit yeah. hearst tracy m in and yeah it's probably mentioned too many there it's turned into a Right. There's always there's always room for more. <laughs> you can throw Hurst and Cause in the corner. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Hope they get on with each other. Um, yeah. I was going to say, what would you what do you think you'd like to be if you wasn't an artist? That's a good question. Well, so I I co-founded um, an artist studio, which is where I am now, Artist Type Studios in Tottenham. So we opened in September 2019. Um, a friend that I met on my MA, Chantel, and I set it up. And, you know, originally we set it up because we couldn't find an artist studio that we liked ourselves. You know, there was a call centre upstairs um, and I'm downstairs grinding metal and you just think it's not going to work. You know, you don't know your neighbours. So we set up this space um, in Edmonton. And what I've learned from that is, you know, I'm 10 years into my career there are people here that are 40 years into their career, but there are also people here that are a year, six months into their career. And that passing of knowledge, ideas, um, contacts um, has been something that I didn't expect, um, but I've, I've really enjoyed. So I guess teaching um, would be an obvious path to go down, but um, yeah, kind of. I look at my five-year-old niece who will pick up a pencil and will just scribble with no care in the world about whether it's good or whether it's bad, or it is just for the joy of play and creativity. And something happens as we, as we get older, where we become worried, you know, I I have the same thing. I open a piece of paper and think, this is it. You know, this is, I'm an artist, so I must be able to do a masterpiece on this. And you think, oh, I can't, I can't start. You know, you have that anxiety. And I just think the, to run kind of workshops for adults, whether it's education or whether it's just um, for the joy of being creative um, would, be, would be really cool. So, yeah, Perfect. I guess teaching of some sort. And what's the studios that you've created? What's the name again? Artist Hive Studios. Um, yeah, just in Edmonton. So our nearest, we're right next to the Tottenham Stadium. Um, so yeah, you'll have to come and visit, Gary. And is it is it just sculptors in there? No, no. We've uh, I'm the only sculptor actually. Um, no, we've got a full range. Of, we've got printmakers, painters, um, yeah, and typography artists. It's yeah, it, and that's what's been really special as well to have that you know throughout lockdown as well uh, when we've been here. Um, that crossover of mediums. So suddenly, you know, I can see I'm picking up things from another artist that, that's a painter, completely yeah. different discipline, but they've just come in and looked at your work and gone, why don't you just do this? And you think, oh, that's what I've been missing since yeah. being in higher education. You know, when you're at uni, you've got a lecturer or you've got your mates going, just do this or just do that. And then you're out of that for 10 years and you're looking around going, I don't know whether what I'm doing is any good or not or and just to have almost that crit you know that critique friends and people that you trust um coming in and going oh 
that looks good or you know that's not working um that's been really good it's uh great well, that was a higher point of what we was talking about earlier possibly before we even started recording was me doing these podcasts in the studio because yeah. i would look at your work for instance and then put myself in your shoes and go oh what if i was you i would do this or if i was doing this work this might work this might work and then it's sort of you know I mention this quite often but the artist is on a sort of train track if you like and and every now and then you come to a junction you make a little decision and keep going on your destination but every now and then it's nice to sort of stop and just yeah. make a little detour just yeah. even mentally to have a little look to see what is around it's so true and yeah I mean for me you kind of uh, you're on that train track and then I've kind of introduced neon or led to my work and suddenly it's taken a bit of a curve you're not on that straight line but yeah it, it's it's really good to have you know people around you and and me and my mum also kind of look at each other's work and critique it when we yeah. can and i think that that is important to kind of stop and go okay i've been doing this and you know with the lockdown it it forced everyone to kind of go that's it i, I felt like i was running from commission to art fair to commission to another art fair to a group show yeah, or a solo yeah. exhibition and as soon as covid came in it was like right stop sit down what on earth have you been doing for 10 years yeah um and you kind of look at everything and go okay this is the direction i'd like to set off again now um let's let's see what happens in another 10 years so it is good to sit down take a break reflect and it is that little bit of, I know it was forced upon everyone, but giving yourself that little bit of time to stop, think, reboot, if you like, you know, and yeah, just definitely. assess what you've got going on around you. Yeah. And I think by doing that, you know, you see a lot of people that have picked up new skills in lockdown as well. Um, you know, I, through the drawings, I released prints and that's something that I, would never have done I wouldn't have had you know I wouldn't have yeah. given myself time to do these drawings to that release prints but it's added to to my portfolio so by stopping and just reassessing and rebooting like you say it it kind of allows you to go okay right now I'll try a little bit of this or I'll bring in a little bit of that like that's worked really well with the past sculpture why and I've been meaning to do something with that um and even in the studio here you know I've works in progress that have been sitting here for like two years and you've got the idea yeah. and you'll go oh yeah I'll finish that one day and oh no I won't I've got an art fair next month so yeah it's been quite good to kind of um yeah stop and think for a little bit but it is nice to discover and rediscover your own work. Like you were saying that you've had a piece sitting on the side for two years. I think that's absolutely fine because when you start that, you've got one mindset. Two years down the line, your your mind and your direction has moved on quite a bit. And that, that piece of artwork will take on a different shape and meaning from what you intended it to when you started it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I had one a couple of weeks ago that was almost a... It, this one continuous copper pipe and um, it, it had formed a, an, a globe and I just looked at it and thought I'm not you know I'm not pleased with that anymore it hadn't been painted or anything so I just pull, put my hand on the inside and stretched it out into yeah. a and completely destroyed it it led to absolutely nothing you know but just that motion of, of um, you know stretching the sculpture has then led on to other ideas yeah, for future sculptures so it might be you know one piece of, of metal that has now been gone into scrap metal but it will be recycled and the yeah. ideas that it will have lead to it might lead to a piece where I can go okay Brilliant. that was that was really interesting I should try that next time exhibitions what have you got coming up so I'm frantically working towards Start Art Fair at the Saatchi Gallery, uh, which is in a month. It's from the 13th to the 17th of October. So, um, yeah, it's, I'm going to be showing all new sculptures. It's nice. um, the first art fair that I'm doing myself since um, I did the other art fair in November 2019 in, in Brooklyn. So it's been a long time coming. And obviously I wanted to make sure that 
I mean, the last time I showed in London was March 2019. You know, I wanted to make sure that my comeback was was big. You know, yeah, I wanted yeah. to make sure I'm not wheeling out sculptures from three years ago and going, oh, these haven't sold yet. Let's yeah. see if, if these go. Uh, so, yeah, I'm making 19 miniatures um, and then, yeah, lots of new light sculptures, um, which I'm really excited to, to show people. Um, all of these ideas have kind of been percolating in lockdown. And again, it's that uh, the love knot idea um, will feature heavily in one piece. And um, yeah, there's another piece that I'm working on at the moment and it's like a, a, it's warped almost. So it's a piece of stainless steel um, where the edges have been warped. And I guess it's looking at that, you know, how time has just completely warped in the last two years <laughs> um, along no, with all of us exactly no we've one all walked what, a little bit haven't we yeah what month it is or, or what day it is um but yeah it, it's been it's been fantastic to actually have something to work towards as well um yeah. you know it's been so long in the making that um finally we we can actually go out and and see some see some culture and and take part in some art fairs which is great i mean you said you're taking what was it 19 miniatures yeah how big are the miniatures? How miniature is miniature? Uh, they range from about 10 centimetres in height um, to 30 centimetres in height. So they, yeah, I mean, they, they completely change. And then obviously they're on, they're on plinths and they've got different finishes. So some uh, have been plated with antique bronze uh, and they, they're the smallest ones. And then others have been um, gold leafed and uh, coloured aluminium. So yeah, a kind of between 10 and 10 and 30 centimetres, more kind of accessible um, mantelpiece pieces. Well, they don't lose much of their narrative from the miniature to the larger sculptures, do yeah, they? Yeah, and that's what I've really enjoyed, going back to revisit the miniatures. Um, so uh, during the first lockdown, the artist support pledge, um, I was selling quite a few miniatures on, on Instagram. Um, and these were miniatures that I'd made three years ago when no one was really bothered about yeah. small sculptures but suddenly those maquettes the miniatures they they were affordable and uh, people were really excited about them in in the first lockdown and I've continued to to sell them which has been really good um, and the fact that they keep their their signature style um, you know you, as soon as I make one I look at it and go wow how cool would it be to make that three meters five meters and what, um, what is well, your dream? Again, you've had your dream when you was a student and, and had a go at that. What is it? What would it be now? Uh, public art, really. I'd love to kind of make a, not obviously the scale would be great, but just to have a, a piece in the public realm that people can go and see. Um, it's, and I'm part of the Royal Society of, of Sculptors and they really help kind of nurture young young sculptors and give them opportunities to apply for for commissions like that um so yeah hopefully in the next kind of um few years i'll, I'll pick up a commission where yeah we can go and see a, a five meter piece somewhere that sounds pretty cool so when when is start when is the start art it's fair? from the 13th to the 17th of october um at the sarchi gallery uh, and then the week after that, I'm at the affordable art fair with uh, with the miniatures, and that's with May's Gallery. Nice. Um, so yeah, busy. Well, October, isn't it? So uh, yeah, the whole art world's looking at London. And for the people who can't get to London for the art fairs, where can anyone see your work online, be it social media or website? So my website's markbt.co.uk. Uh, and my Instagram tag is markbt underscore art. Perfect. Well, Mark, that's all my questions asked. Oh, perfect. Thank you very thank much you. for your time. Oh, thank you, mate. Great to catch up. Yeah. Cheers, mate. All right then, mate. All the best. See you later Have on. Good afternoon. Take care. Da -da. Bye. There you are, Mark Beatty. Absolutely great stuff. And as he mentioned there, He's showing at the Star Art Fair, which is at Saatchi Gallery in London, from the 13th to the 17th of October. He'll have links on his Instagram profile page, and you'll find a link to his website in these show notes. 
Well, that's about it for this week's episode. So, until next week, toodle pip. Well, hope you enjoyed that episode of the Ministry of Arts podcast. If you're unable to support us on Patreon, leaving a review on whichever platform you listen to this podcast really does help us get noticed and anyone else looking for an art podcast, or even giving us a positive shout-out on your social media. Anything is appreciated, but either way, thanks for listening, and until next week, ta-da. This is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait, is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.